morning, everyone. Um, I hope you're all doing well this morning. We are still in a really weirdly tough time, right? I'm finding it um, easy to get defeated by my Facebook feed. This, this morning I was flipping through and scrolling through, I guess is the right thing to say. And I um, came across new footage of George Floyd's murder. Um, he just in it looks like he's having a panic attack. It is so devastating. And then the very next thing I came across was um, footage of a black family laying face down in the parking lot because somebody thought that they had had something to do with um, a stolen motorcycle. They had nothing to do with it, but the cops had took them all out of their car and laid them all down, including the six-year-old. It's like, it's just awful. Next was a Trevor Noah segment um, about uh, remembering a school shooting, or actually two mass shootings that had happened this time last year. Um, nothing has really changed since then, except maybe gotten worse. And then there's this article floating around that's come through my feed a couple of times saying like, this is the last year to save the oceans. Um, that just doesn't seem super likely right now. Uh, so it's kind of hopeless. And then of course, there's so many posts from parents like not knowing what to do in the fall. Are we homeschooling? Are we sending our kids to school? Should we be training our kids to wear masks now so that it's not so hard for the teachers? It's just, it's overwhelming. It's enough to make me wanna to go to sleep for a couple of months. Um, I'm sure you've had similar experiences recently. And of course, none of these big things interrupt the fact that we are all dealing with work pressure and heartbreak and in-laws and exes and the looming future and our own mental health. You know, we've kind of sort of gotten used to living in a pandemic, but this is still a really tough time. And I think our Psalm is a good one for today. It's obviously not written to our context. Most scholars think that it was written to post-exilic Israel. So the promise that they hoped for had been fulfilled. The exile was over and they were returned to their land. But then life in the promised land turned out to be way harder than they expected. So if you read the first half of the psalm, we didn't read it this morning, but if you were to look at it, the first three verses celebrate the answered um, prayers and the next verses plead again with God for help. And it's not unlike where we stand, right? Christ has come to us. He has lived, died, and been resurrected. We have been forgiven and death has been conquered. The work is finished, but now we wait for it to be realized. This is the, you know, the now and the not yet of the kingdom. The work of the salvation of salvation has been done, and yet we still wait for Christ to unveil the wholeness that he made. We too could pray the first half of this psalm. You saved us and help us please. The last chunk of the psalm, uh, which we did read this morning, is a good recipe for getting through this middle time, I think. It begins with, I will listen to what God the Lord says. In that, I will listen, I hear this determination not to get caught up in the fear and the despair and the stories that the rest of the world is telling about this world, but to stick to the story that God tells. 
the psalmist is determined to locate themselves in the promise rather than in the circumstances. To know that even though the night is dark, the sun is rising, though we might not be able to see it yet. To say to ourselves, yeah, we need that kind of determination, right? With the psalmist to be able to say to ourselves, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to handle it all. I don't always know what the right thing to do is, but I will listen to what the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. He promises peace to his people. And that peace is shalom, which you probably all know by now is my favorite word. Uh, the word shalom is full to bursting with good things. It is right relationship in every direction with God and within ourselves and with each other and with the rest of creation. Shalom is everything as it should be. Um, prosperity, safety, well-being for all. God promises peace to his people. But the next line is, but let them not turn to folly. I kind of like that line because I feel the temptation to folly, um, it's strong. Uh, I think there are a whole bunch of different kinds of folly that we can fall into and all of them um, go with the proverb that says, you know, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. Uh, all of the kinds of folly that I could come up with seem to say, this hope is futile. So, you know, cynicism, that low grade burn against anything hopeful and along with it, scoffing. Um, I don't think anyone uses that word anymore, but I think we should bring it back. Scoffing is that kind of laughter that kills joy, right? That makes joy embarrassing. I remember once um, as a kid, I think I was in middle school, so this is exactly the time that scoffing is especially big. Um, and I was delighted in some leaf or some bug or something. And someone in my class laughed at me and said, small things amuse small minds. You know, that's scoffing. Like that you would lessen joy because you're too cool for it. And people scoff all the time at prayer or acts of affection or small joys or attempts to draw people together that just seem too cheesy. You know, it's like calling someone ridiculous for deigning to hope. And when we're scared or we're vulnerable, scoffing is a great way to protect ourselves. And it eats away at goodness. Scoffing and cynicism. You know, they seem like no big deal, but I think they are folly. The other kinds of follies I, folly I thought of are uh, despair and just paralyzing fear and apathy. Um, they're all understandable, right? But they all need to be resisted. And we live in grace, always, always, always. And I don't wanna be hard on anyone. This is a crazy time. Um, but I do wanna name these things as temptations. They're not the same as, you know, apathy is not the same as rest. And I'm not talking about mental illness when I talk about dis despair or fear. Um, I'm talking about the kind of overwhelm that leads us to hide out afraid or hopeless, thinking that nothing that we do will ever make a difference. And it's understandable, but it needs to be resisted. And we resist that 
by planting ourselves firmly in the promise. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises shalom to his people. And then the psalmist goes on to rehearse the promise from a bunch of different angles. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land, love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the, forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares a way for his steps. I love that the surely and the, the Lord will indeed in this psalm, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him and the Lord will indeed give good to give what is good. And this is rehearsing. Surely this is true. The Lord will indeed do it. This is learning to locate ourselves in the promise rather than the circumstances. And we need that kind of practice now, right? Before coronavirus, we could all gather on Sunday mornings and there was a sense that just, there was a sense in which just going to church could kind of hold you up. The worship and the community were robust enough they could sustain you in the promise for, you know, at least a few days. But that's just not the case anymore, despite, you know, how awesome my sermons are um, and, you know, how faithful you all are at worshiping with the video every morning. I mean, every Sunday morning. <laughs> if you're doing it every morning, that's pretty good. Uh, but, you know, even at its best, this practice is really thin. It's, it's not enough. So you've got to find other ways to press in. You know, maybe you're in a small group, that's great. Maybe you have some practices of, pr of prayer at home, that's really good too. You know, I know some of the mini small groups are starting up soon and Tony and Katie, um, our intern, are planning to lead one on Lectio Divina in the park. In September, uh, we're gonna begin a series through the books of the Bible. And that the hope for me is that it will uh, reawaken you to scripture if you need that so that engaging your Bible can be a practice that can sustain you um, and hopefully there'll be some adult ed to go along with that too in November or December a friend of mine uh, is going to teach a class on practices that you can do in your home to help you engage the liturgical year either alone or with your family and there are hundreds of ways that you can press in, that you can remind yourself again and again of the promise of the story that you are in. Um, you've just got to pick something and maybe some good measures about whether it's enough are whether you can sense the nearness of God or whether your love is increasing or decreasing or whether or not you long to be obedient to Jesus. None of these are good on their own. And I think if you're assessing this, you should do it in a community because um, no, we're not always good at assessing those things too. But just to try and give you some contours to, uh, am I doing, am I pressing in enough? Do you believe the promise? Do you live your life with respect to life everlasting or in the shadow of death? And these are some questions you can ask yourself. And Sunday mornings are good. And I really look forward to being able to meet with you all again but Sunday has never really been enough to carry you through. And they especially can't do that in this time. If we want to locate ourselves in the promise, 
to live the story of the good news every day, we're going to need a bit of the psalmist determination. We have to say to ourselves, like, sure, Facebook is garbage and 2020 is the stuff of nightmares, but surely his salvation is near. The Lord will indeed give what is good. I will listen to what God says. I will believe in that story over the hopeless, fearful stories that the world tells. You know, the bringing about of shalom is God's work, and the psalm is very clear about that. And our pressing into the promise or failing to do that doesn't change that. But it does change you, and it changes your witness, and it changes how much you experience that salvation as near or far off. Um, so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning paying a little more attention to the promise, as the psalmist puts it. Psalm 85 is full of powerhouse words, love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. They are top shelf kind of words, theologically dense. Um, because the truth is, the promise is always going to be more than we can know and more than we can articulate. And St. Ignatius says, God is always greater than our conception of him. And the same is true of God's promises. But let's, so let's think on those, uh, those words for a bit. The word for love there is hesed, um, which also gets translated loving kindness, and I think that's maybe a better translation. It contains the idea of, the all of these ideas of rescue, of preservation of life, strengthening of the spiritual life, saving from sin, keeping promises. Like scripture says that God's loving kindness is both abundant and everlasting. It is huge and forever. Love, you know, is a word that we can easily skim over. We use it so much. But our God is eternally kind to us. In a way that, you know, picks us up out of the dirt and brushes the dust off and covers us over and protects us. And even after all of that, still puts up with our crap. You know, I imagine my mini self in the hollow of God's hands, just raging and stomping around, pouting because I didn't get the clothes I like or the weather's not very good. And, um, you know, that doesn't exhaust God's love. It is tender and it is unending. And when loving kindness meets faithfulness, emet is the word, that's a, that's a word that can be translated firmness and truth. When loving kindness meets faithfulness, it becomes not just West Michigan nice, but a rooted, solid kind of kindness that cannot be pushed around or undone, and that is never false. This is a love that holds us firm, that envelops us in all of the fury and uncertainty of this world find yourself there. Then the text says, righteousness and peace will kiss each other. We already talked about peace. That's shalom again. Beautiful, big, all-encompassing wholeness. Righteousness is the word tzedakah. And I think it's better translated as right relatedness, but that doesn't make a lot of sense for most people. But it, it is everything relating to everything else exactly as it should be. It's not just individual piety. It is how I relate to everything else in my life. 
You could also translate the word tzedakah as justice or even accurateness. All is as it should be in righteousness. No one has too little power or too much. No one hoards something that someone else needs. When a person is righteousness, they are relating to others in a way that allows them to flourish and to be righteous as well. You can see how righteousness would be required for our shalom. You know, love and faithfulness feel so personal to me, whereas righteousness and peace seem to reach out in all directions. Grace digs down and spreads out, and everything is made new. The next verse says, Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. This promised peace encompasses everything from the depths of the earth to the skies. God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good. And notice with the next line, and, the, and our, it says, and our land will yield its harvest. This is the fourth time that this psalm mentions the land because shalom is not just for humans. It is for all of creation. When righteousness comes, everything flourishes. Uh, the other night, um, Katrina Shafsma, one of our Old Testament scholars and residents, was uh, over to talk about this upcoming Bible series and to help us to plan it with a group of people. And she, in her very passionate way, said, I just love what Leviticus does with land and animals. And I was like, what? And she said that in Leviticus, they were only ever allowed to eat animals that were sacrificed. And animal life was protected almost as much as human life. No one, and no one could own land either. You could hold it, you could use it, but no one was allowed to possess it in the same way that we do. And Leviticus also holds provision for the land to heal and recuperate. It gets a Sabbath, just like people do. So it's no accident that our psalm mentions the land. God has always loved all of God's creation. The salvation that we long for calls everything into wholeness and delight. This is the promise that we hold. This is the kingdom of God. It is here and it is coming. And we believe that Jesus' coming inaugurated that kingdom that Jesus' death and resurrection conquered sin and death forever and all destruction with them. And that we are only really waiting for what has already been accomplished to be fulfilled. That's our hope. This is the story that we are in. That's what we rehearse. Surely it will come. God will indeed bring it. Listen to what the Lord says. You know, do what it takes to find yourself in that promise, no matter the circumstances. Listen closely to what God says in Romans 8, Romans 8, which tells us that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Listen to God speak through Galatians, saying that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean for how we live and love now? It's already true. I can't wait for it to be revealed. 
Listen to the word of God in Colossians 1 that declares that God has reconciled all things to himself in Christ, things on earth and things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen to God speak through Hosea 2.18. It says, God has made a covenant even with the wild animals and the birds of the air and the creeping things on the ground, and that he will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. Listen to God speak through the words of Revelation, promising that death shall be no more, and that mourning and crying and pain will be no more, and that God, as God comes forever to dwell with us. Listen to the word of God that comes to us over and over again in the scriptures, like 150 times. Do not be afraid. The Lord will indeed give what is good. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Please pray with me. Lord God, may we find ourselves in your story you created this world good and beautiful and that that goodness has not gone from it. That we have fallen and that things are broken and that there is real anguish here. But that you have not left us, that you will never leave us and forsake us. That in Christ you have done everything to save us and that you will come again to make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus. And while we wait for you, help us to live in your story. Help us to be people of hope and delight, people who love even when it hurts, because we know that love is what lasts because we know that love is more powerful than anything else in this world because it is of you. Let us be people who celebrate wherever we see life. Let us be people who rehearse the story again and again that we maintain our hope even in the darkest of days. Strengthen us for this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.